Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a sage publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. To set the stage for today's discussion, I draw upon the 2023 State of Vulnerability Management Report, which has some very interesting findings and will be the subject of our discussion today. Let me share with you a few of the finding highlights. One half of the surveyed organization, 51%, at best, have a moderate level of visibility into vulnerabilities. 26% of the surveyed population detected more than 100 new vulnerabilities every month. Vulnerability management maturity level was found to be relatively low across organizations. Even the frequency of vulnerability scans was kind of low. Patch deployment speed, slow. And last but not the least, the vulnerability management methods and tools were not quite comprehensive. So the state of affairs as far as vulnerability management goes based on this report, in my humble opinion, is not that great. However, today I have the expert, Ashley Leonard, founder and CEO of Sixth Sense, who will shed light on these findings and more. Ashley, welcome. Hi, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. Fabulous. Fabulous. So, Ashley, uh, before we get into these details, share with uh, my listeners some of your professional highlights. Yeah, well, again, thank you for inviting me. Glad to be with you today. Yeah, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from the UK. I started my career in network management many years ago. I've actually been in the space for about 30 years. Wow, it's a long time. Working with um, Windows networks, Novell networks, Unix, Linux. So I've really got a kind of deep background as a practitioner in this space and moved over to the US. I taught at Boston University um, before setting up a company working with offshore banks doing um, networking. And then in 2008, I uh, sold my, uh, my last company. Um, which was uh, doing consulting around network management. And then in 2012, set up my current company, which is called Sixth Sense. And for those of you that are not familiar with Sixth Sense, Sixth Sense is an organization that um, combines security uh, vulnerability and patch vulnerability scanning and remediation into a single unified cloud platform. So we saw a great opportunity to work with uh, companies taking their management, um, their patch management, security vulnerability management to the cloud and uh, and being able to bring together these two, which uh, traditionally being separate areas into a single solution so that we can not only report on security vulnerabilities and patch vulnerabilities, but actually go ahead and remediate them because it's a unified platform. 
Fantastic. Very good. So actually, I think uh, it might be a good idea to begin the discussion by providing listeners an overview of what vulnerability management is, what's the scope of vulnerability management. Why don't you take it from there? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a rapidly changing area for sure. If you go back a few years, I think vulnerability management really was was patching, right? And you could run a patch management tool, maybe use Microsoft's WSUS tool or SCCM, and you could run a scan of your own endpoints maybe once a week and push out some patches. And, and that's kind of how it started. It's evolved quite considerably over the last few years. You know, today, as I look at vulnerability management, I think it very much is its own practice, but it's it's a combination for me of of certainly you know, traditional software vulnerabilities, which obviously are the operating system patches. Perhaps you might get Patch Tuesday from Microsoft, but it's also third party application vulnerabilities as well. So obviously on on your endpoints, you're going to have software installed from multiple vendors. That software also can introduce vulnerabilities, and then. You have configuration vulnerabilities. So these aren't necessarily linked to a piece of software, but perhaps to how an endpoint is configured. Maybe you have uh, ports open or shares open or password policies that are weak or, I mean, there's, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of, of, if not thousands actually of, of these kind of configuration vulnerabilities that weaken your security posture and make your endpoints vulnerable. And then finally, I would say that the kind of final component there is the user themselves as well. So it can't be ignored. And so if you kind of kind of break this down a little bit, right? If we think about user vulnerabilities, all you have to do is to, is to test this with your organization. But try sending out an email to your organization or a subset of your organization, maybe pick 100 users and say, um, ask them to click on a link. And you'd be shocked how many people <laughs> would click on that link because it came from someone that, that looks like the IT department, right? One of the fun things to do is just set up a Gmail address. Give it the name of your uh, leader of, um, of your IT department or, and then send out an email to, to 100 users or even 10 users as a test from that Gmail account, but it has the right name uh, with a link and see how many of your users actually click on that link. It's quite shocking, the results you see. <laughs> so you got to think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, it's interesting you would mention that because research in this area finds that despite all the training, humans still fall for these phishing emails for a variety of reasons, one of which is innate curiosity. You know, despite being told that if you see something that seems too good to be true, that's what it is. So avoid opening the email. And if you have to, don't click on any attachments or links. But even then, there's a significant population out there who are still wanting to take their chances and just want to know what's out there. Maybe they lucked out or something. So that's one. And then there are many other factors. Like you wake up early in the morning, you're still kind of getting your day started. And you see an email from your bank saying that your account has been compromised. You need to follow through with the link and change your password. My wife almost fell for that. And I have fallen for uh, similar such emails. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting problem, challenge. It's also rapidly evolving, Dave. So it's interesting because during COVID, right, we've all been taught to use QR codes, right? And uh, you go to a restaurant, you scan the QR code. Well, nowadays, threat actors are going around to uh, QR codes and replacing them. 
Um, it's happened with, I don't know if, where you're based, but uh, many places, uh, the parking meters, right, where you park your car, have a QR code on. You have to scan the QR code to pay for parking. Well, guess what? People are going and actually changing those QR codes and <laughs> they're linking it to bad sites and uh, and that's infecting your devices. You've got you know, even USB devices, right? I think we try and train most of our users not to plug in unknown USB devices, but uh, there have been cases where, again, threat actors will take USB devices and go and drop them in the parking lot of companies they're trying to breach. And the amount of users that will see a USB stick sitting on the floor in the parking lot, they pick it up and wonder what's on it, walk into the office and plug it in. It's shocking. <laughs> that is hard to believe. That's the first time I've heard that somebody would consciously leave USB devices in the parking lot of organizations they want to hack into. I guess it really happens, huh? Oh, yeah, really happens. And to your point earlier, it's curiosity, right? You wonder, well, I wonder what was on that on that uh, <laughs> USB stick that's in the parking lot. So they plug it in to find out what's on it. And then game over. Too late. Exactly. And like you said, it's evolving. Like with AI-generated voice scams, we are at a point where if my daughter calls me and says, Dad, I would like to access this particular resource. Can I have the access credentials? I have to ask her that, you know, honey, when did we meet last and what did we do during that meeting before I'm willing to give her those details? I read somewhere that it takes now about five to 10 seconds of voice recording to be able to generate an AI-generated voice of that person. It's, yeah, you can't trust a voice anymore now either. I had a um, an AI expert come to my class the other day, and within about five to 10 minutes, he was able to get the recording of a student and use that voice for a variety of different purposes just to showcase how this capability is being misused or abused. And it's very, very concerning. So... Interesting times, but tough times. Going back to our our discussion on vulnerability management, when an organization is developing their vulnerability management strategy, what should be their driving goals? What should be their key objectives? Yes, yeah, so great question. Well, I think kind of the goals and objectives generally are to try and protect the organization from a breach, right? So you know, you're trying to put as many barriers in the way of a breach occurring in your organization as you can. That said, I think that you also need to assume that it's not going to be a matter of stopping it from happening, but how you're also going to handle it when it happens. <laughs> Hopefully, we can slow these things down and reduce the likelihood of it happening, but you really do need to prepare for a situation where it does happen because I think you're best prepared when you have your plans together to deal with a breach. So kind of how do you kind of go about this is you put together a kind of a vulnerability management program, Dave. Typically, the way we advise our customers to start is by um, running a kind of baseline of your environment. So you want to understand exactly what assets you um, have. And bear in mind, those assets can be obviously things like your PC servers, et cetera, which you would, you would think. But also you want to think about IoT devices. And there's been a number of cases of breaches occurring where you know, threat actors have come in through air conditioning systems, or I think I read about a casino that got breached through a fish thermometer. <laughs> so you need to know everything that's actually connected to your network because traditional security techniques of, of kind of building a wall around your organization with a firewall, right? So kind of that castle uh, concept just, just don't work anymore. So understand kind of what you have and run a kind of a baseline to understand kind of how vulnerable those endpoints are. And then 
once you kind of baselined your environment, you kind of want to then think about a gap analysis between kind of where you are today and where you need to be. And that should help you kind of prioritize your remediation strategy because typically you're going to find a ton of vulnerabilities that you're going to need to address. And you want to start with where you're most vulnerable and because that is most likely where you're going to be breached and then kind of work your way back from there. So um, think about kind of how you prioritize your threats. Um, with patches, you've got things like CDSS scores, which are a starting point, but they are really just a starting point. And the reason I think even in this last patch Tuesday from Microsoft, there was some kind of medium level patches, uh, CVSS patches released, but maybe like five, 5.5 ratings in CVSS scores, but they were already under active attack. And so if you rely on a CVSS score as your only way to prioritize your threats, you're really getting a limited picture of how vulnerable your organization is. Typically, as well, we find threat actors um, actually use chains of vulnerabilities. So um, it's not a single vulnerability, but it's when you put multiple vulnerabilities together that you you actually have a serious problem. So you kind of have to think not again not about the individual threat uh, score itself, but also but the complete picture of how vulnerable your organization is. And then obviously you can put a remediation plan together, hopefully to address um, these as soon as possible um, and then repeat because it really does need to be a continuous process. And that would be the other kind of words of wisdom I would share is that this is, should not be a monthly process. Many companies do this kind of, oh, it's Patch Tuesday. So we're going to go and deploy our Patch Tuesday uh, patches to our organization. It's not even a weekly process. This should be a continuous process. New vulnerabilities are being published constantly. We have a whole threat research team at Sixth Sense, and we, you know, throughout the day, are constantly publishing new content. And if you're not scanning on a continuous basis, then your organization's exposed. So you know, really, you need to find uh, technologies and, and partners that you work with that can do this kind of continuous vulnerability management for you. So that's very interesting, Ashley. Uh, you talked about um, some of the best practices of vulnerability objective management. I'd like to add one more thing to that, and that is whatever the objectives, there should be some very clearly defined metrics to measure the realization of those objectives. I also wanted to reemphasize what you said, that this management of objectives must be a continuous process so that your objectives are always current, not falling behind. To help the listeners identify what some of these objectives could be, let me share with them the ones that have been listed in this report. Right on top, which seems to be the most popular, is prioritizing risk based on vulnerabilities and criticality of assets. That's followed by identify known vulnerabilities across the IT environment. Third, understand the attack surface for external and insider threats. Fourth, compliance. Fifth, accelerate and optimize remediation workflows. Next, standard adherence, such as ISO and IST, etc. And finally, collect, report, and analyze effectiveness metrics. So there are seven of them here, and I'd assume that organizations would have a mix of these or 
maybe they'd have some of their own. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it depends on the complexity of the organization, its size, and also the the business that the organization is in. So if, for example, if it's a compliance-driven organization like financial sectors, maybe retail, then you've got you know, industrial compliance requirements as well that, you, that the organization might have. But again, it is rapidly changing, Dave, as we discussed. And even if, if you think about in, in the past, after a vulnerability was publicly announced, it typically took kind of three to seven days before you started to see attackers actually weaponizing these vulnerabilities and, and attacking, um, which meant you kind of had a week or so to kind of get your, your act together, you know, deploy the patches and, and make sure your organization was safe. It's now down to 24 hours, and that's a problem. <laughs> that's a huge problem for most organizations because... And again, unless you are doing continuous vulnerability scanning and remediation, you're not going to be able to respond quickly enough and your organization is going to be exposed. So, you know, you really need technology um, to step in here and you need automation um, that you can use to deploy these patches to your most vulnerable assets as quickly as possible and, and typically stage it because Patches don't get tested normally as much as uh, a kind of a full release of a product. So that's a risk as well, right? And so as you're thinking about how you roll out your patches in your organization, you want to kind of target your most vulnerable assets, but you also don't want to take out the entire organization as well with a bad patch. Something Microsoft have released a few of those in the past. So again, that's where automation can really help you to respond quickly, but also thoughtfully in the way that you go about remediating these patches. Now, AI can help as well, but even AI itself can be a problem. I was a black hat back in the summer. I was watching a vendor in the security space. I won't name any names, but they were using AI to generate um, scripts. And there was a security vulnerability that a port was open. And so they used an AI component to go and generate a remediation script for their product. And what it actually did was disable the network adapter. Now, technically, it did close that vulnerability. So arguably, yes, that worked. <laughs> but the implications, if you had deployed that to your organization, would have been horrific. So even using AI has to be done pretty thoughtfully as well. <laughs> you know, every time I hear the mention of using AI, the first thought that comes to mind is how reliable is the platform? Because its reliability depends on the quality of the data that is being used to train the tool, and especially when it comes to vulnerability management, the fact that newer vulnerabilities are being developed as we speak, it's hard to expect, or I think it's unfair to expect the AI tool to be up to speed on that. But having said that, you're absolutely right that organizations need to invest in automated scanning. In fact, I want to reference uh, CISA directive. CISA stands for Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Directive, BOD 2301, which requires federal enterprises to perform automated asset discovery every seven days. Among other things, the directive also requires federal enterprises to initiate vulnerability enumeration across all discovered assets, including all discovered nomadic slash roaming devices every 14 days. I was kind of alarmed that only 35% of the organizations 
are engaging in continuous scanning. And you spoke to that. But I'm going to probe further and ask how realistic or unrealistic is it to expect companies engage in continuous scanning? Yes. So it is difficult. And that's good and bad, right? It's good for our jobs. (laughs) It's also good for our threat actors, but bad for the organization. So I think the problem for me there is that many of kind of the legacy tools that exist in the market today are really based on tasks. And they, they you kind of have the scheduler and your endpoints might check in with with some central control server maybe every 10 minutes or every hour in the case of SCCM and then get an instruction to go and do something. And so you might schedule once a day, once a week to go ahead and, and run a scan. That's not the way to approach this. <laughs> we think this should be approached with this kind of concept of continuous vulnerability management where as new content is actually published, and again, that's continuous, um, your endpoints actually see that content and then go ahead and say, oh, hang on, this is a new vulnerability we haven't scanned for in the past. Let me go and scan on this endpoint and see if it's vulnerable. Is it good? Yes. If it's bad, no, let's do something about it. Another problem here as well is these kind of traditional silos that exist within organizations and within tools. So you, know, you might have your desktop management group, which are responsible for the desktops. You might have your security group that's responsible for security. And maybe patching is handled by the desktop group and security vulnerability scanning is done by the uh, security team. And you might have different tools. Um, you may, again, maybe you're using an endpoint manager or WSAS for patch and you're using, I don't know, maybe Qualys or Rapid7 for, uh, for doing vulnerability scanning. And you're getting kind of these reports generated by these tools, but they're not really actionable. You know, if you've ever looked at, at a report out of out of Qualys or, or kind of tools similar to that, and again, I'm not picking on any particular tool here, but you get this kind of ugly spreadsheet of vulnerabilities that you really can't do much about. Or if you can, it takes a hell of a long time. Uh, the approach we think organizations should take is having kind of the the management technology and the security technology integrated together into a single tool so that you can actually take the results from the vulnerability scan and then feed them into the management engine to actually fix them. That simplifies the process of securing the organization. It radically speeds up the response to vulnerabilities, and I think it reduces risk because you you tend to have less agents on the endpoints themselves as well. And so that's kind of the approach we recommend organizations take. I couldn't agree with you more. It sounds like a very comprehensive approach. And kind of adding to your comment about uh, continuous scanning and making sure you cover all bases. As we know, desktops, laptops are scanned, servers are scanned, data assets, middleware, operating systems, network infrastructure devices, applications and code, cloud assets, IoT devices. So there are so many potential attack surfaces that needs to be covered. That's a pretty monumental undertaking, especially what is concerning from this report that the IoT devices and the cloud assets, they are not as extensively scanned as they should be. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think the report has found uh, an area that, that organizations should be considering very carefully. You want to think again around what are the crown jewel assets of the organization? So think about the data and the potential risk 
that uh, that your organization has if that data was was breached so if for example your crm data is in the cloud well i mean that's probably pretty critical data for you if that got exfiltrated from the cloud it could be very damaging for your organization and potentially you know very embarrassing um and who, who knows it might open you up to potential fines so i would think very carefully about the data and the potential risk one of the kind of newer techniques that we've seen threat actors using is is when they breach an organization obviously you've know, you all read about data exfiltration right and that being used then to to um, apply pressure to organizations to pay pay ransoms they've been using ai now to analyze this data so in the past it had to be done manually <laughs> but but threat actors are now using ai to analyze the exfiltrated data from the organization and then using that data from the ai they're then for example you're finding customer lists and then contacting those customers and getting those customers to apply pressure on the organization to pay the ransom <laughs> that's a good example of how ai is being used right in these kind of types of situations so yeah definitely think very carefully about the data that you have another kind of emerging threat is against identity providers and Okay, it's one thing to steal your data and maybe encrypt your data, but guess what? You might have backups, right? So you can recover from that hopefully relatively easily. It can still take time even with backups. But we've seen as well threat actors now attacking identity providers. And you think about this for a second. If your organization gets breached and the threat actor goes after your active directory and destroys your active directory, now think about the impact of that to your organization, your users can't even log in to their email to get information about what's going on anymore because the AD's gone, <laughs> right? The amount of damage that can be done is huge. So again, think carefully about the data, categorize how important it is, and think about where it's stored. And that's a really good starting place. <laughs> well, that's great advice. I appreciate it. Moving along, I'd like to talk a little bit about, and this is in line with all the suggestions you are providing from the standpoint of comprehensive vulnerability management. I'd like to talk about the levels of maturity. Once again, drawing upon the report, level zero is when there is no vulnerability management program and 1% of the sampled organization fall in that category. Then 10% fall under level one, which is scanning without analysis or remediation guidance. Then 19% are in level two, which is assessment and compliance. 28% are at level three, which is analysis and prioritization. 23% have reached level four, which takes into account attack management or which covers attack management. And finally, level five is where an organization has fully developed programs. And there are only 19% at that level of maturity. Given that vulnerability management is an absolute key focus area for cybersecurity governance, why are we seeing such low numbers when it comes to level of maturity? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, there's a few factors here. I would uh, I'd point to kind of a few areas. So let's kind of start with resources. So Many organizations have resource constraints they're dealing with, both in the way of, of kind of tools that they're using, but also 
management personnel and financial resources, quite frankly, as well. Uh, I mean, the economy's certain getting a little bit more challenging out there. So that, that's a factor as well. So resource constraints would be number one for me. Next, I would kind of think a little bit about kind of perhaps the perceived overhead involved in implementing these types of continuous uh, vulnerability scanning and remediation techniques. So if you've got large amounts of data and endpoints, you can end up with fatigue. Uh, again, if you've, if you've looked at these reports from some of these other vulnerability tools, you understand what I'm talking about, these massive spreadsheets that, like, where the hell do I start? So I think kind of <laughs> that's a challenge. I think there's an element of, of just a lack of awareness as well in some organizations that, that could be contributing to this. There's also fear of disruption. So as you, you know, as you roll out a patch, you get not all patches are tested as well as, as new operating system releases. And potentially you can end up disrupting your, your IT operations by pushing out a bad patch. And then I think you also have to think a little bit about regulatory and compliance issues as well. And again, organize some organizations have to comply with, um, with regulatory requirements. So I like. PCI, for example, or HIPAA. And that that kind of drives some standards into those organizations, which perhaps helps them. But typically as well, compliance is lagging. Uh, the government is not the greatest. <laughs> it's, uh, so I, I wouldn't rely just on government regulation either as a factor. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I go back to what you said earlier. When organizational objectives are being developed, it's very important to have senior leadership involved because they need to understand where vulnerability management fits in in the overall scheme of things. To keep it simple, it is through vulnerability assessment and management that the leadership will know what the strengths are and what the weaknesses are. It is, again, an acknowledged reality that you're not going to stop everything, but that doesn't mean that you do nothing. To your point, when there is regulation, that will drive organizations to do the best they can to check the box. But we have to go beyond checking the box. That's where having a customized set of objectives and goals, providing top management oversight and doing so on a continuous and a rolling basis with regular reviews, I think is immensely, immensely important. You and I both know that some of some major breaches have happened, not only because the vulnerabilities were exploited, but the unfortunate reality is that the organization was in the know of these vulnerabilities, they were informed. For whatever reason, there was an inordinate delay in applying the patches or fixing the vulnerabilities, and they paid a huge price for it. So it almost leads me to believe that the reactive approach to cybersecurity governance continues to dominate. I hope I'm wrong, but... That's the conclusion I draw from all the facts that come to my table. I couldn't agree with you more. Hopefully, it will change. And uh, one of the things that, that the government is doing at the moment is rolling out reporting requirements, right? So, for public companies, and which you know, requires the, the board to now report publicly breaches. And so, hopefully, that's going to perhaps start to drive a change in attitude when the board now has responsibility for you know, publicly reporting breaches that occur in the organization. And uh, perhaps we'll make this a, a higher priority because reactive just doesn't work anymore. It really needs to be hitting a different approach. And to your point earlier about creating this kind of vulnerability management program is, is I completely agree with. Before I move on to my next question, I want to share with the listeners 
some details about the vulnerability management report that I have been referring to, you've been alluding to. And here are some facts. This is a 2023 report based on the results of a comprehensive online global survey of 421 cybersecurity professionals. It was conducted in June 2023 to gain deep insights into the latest trends, key challenges, and solution preferences for vulnerability management. The respondents range from technical executives to managers and IT security practitioners, uh, representing a balanced cross-section of organizations of varying sizes across multiple industries. One of the things that got my attention uh, when I was looking at the different findings, and we were discussing this during our planning meeting, it seems there are some inconsistencies. For example, 51% of the respondents said they had no low or only moderate visibility into their vulnerabilities. But then 61% of the respondents said they scanned daily, weekly, or continuously for vulnerabilities. What do you think is part of this disconnect? So that's a really good question. And I put it down to a couple of things. Um, first of all, scanning doesn't necessarily give you visibility <laughs> unless you actually look at the results from that scan and do something about it. <laughs> so we talked a little bit earlier, right, about if you want a vulnerability scanner, you're going to get this nasty report that gets generated that's very cryptic. And most people, unless this is your full-time job, are probably not going to understand. So having these kind of silos and disconnected tools I think is part of the problem because what you've got to need to do is you need to, yeah, scan your environment, be able to produce a, a, an actionable, meaningful report, and then be able to feed that data into your remediation tools so that you can actually go ahead and actually do something about fixing the vulnerabilities, not just creating some nasty spreadsheet. So I think that's part of it. Another piece is that we actually commissioned a different uh, piece of research with Enterprise Strategy Group earlier in the year. And it, by the way, if you're interested in these reports, um, you can find them on our website at sixcents.com, S-Y-X-Sense.com. And uh, Dave, maybe with the podcast, we can uh, put a link in as well if that's helpful. But yeah, we commissioned some research with Enterprise Strategy Group, the number of tools that organizations are using for vulnerability management. That research found some pretty fascinating results. Um, we found that there was a direct correlation between the number of tools that an organization uses for vulnerability and security management and the number of breaches that have occurred. And it's perhaps not what you would think. The research found that the more tools you have, the more likely you were to have a breach, which was pretty fascinating, right? And as we kind of spent some time digging into that, what we found was that some organizations identified that they perhaps had a problem and like, okay, we're going to go and buy this tool from this vendor and it's going to fix it and life will be great, right? They, they kind of believe the vendors and uh, you know, it's, oh yeah, buy this, install it, and we're safe. And the reality is that that's just not the way things work, right? Yeah, you, the more tools you buy, Typically, you're creating silos of data because these tools are not talking together properly. And you know, this is there's an emerging concept of a, of a security mesh where you, know, you need to have interconnected tools that actually talk to each other. Uh, so that, that's kind of one area. But 
Also, you think about the people. If you've got 20 different tools, are you effectively using those tools? Are you maintaining those tools? The tools themselves could be a breach, right? Think back to Stone Winds just a, a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> so um, the less agents that you actually have on your endpoints, in many cases, the safer you are. So you want to think very carefully about, about that aspect as well. So you're going to be able to maintain those tools better if you have less of them. Your team and kind of your IT department are likely to be able to learn those technologies better and use more of their capabilities, which I think ultimately will make you safer. I'm really enjoying this because you're saying stuff which is getting me all excited. And I'm making notes here because I, don't, I wanted to touch upon some of them. The first thing I want to emphasize, and you said it twice, there's no point having every possible scan if you don't do something about it. I've been uh, harping on this forever. What is the point of doing penetration testing or doing any other kinds of security testing where you're involving external experts to provide you with knowledge, insights, intelligence, unless the organization has a mechanism for quickly reviewing the findings and then making a call on whether they need to act or they don't need to act. It is perfectly fine if an organization makes an informed decision of not acting on a finding. And they document the rationale. Because then later on, if something were to happen, and ultimately these things go to the court of law, the company can show these documents, these logs, and say, look, we received this intelligence. At that point in time, based on the information we had, we thought this was the best course of action. That's what we took. And despite that, we end up here. But at least it shows clarity of purpose. It shows a real intent to be deliberate, to be rigorous in their approach. And I think that has been missing. I say that because whenever I review lawsuit reports, settlement cases, one of the things that keep coming through is the finding that there was some kind of a gross negligence on the part of the organization. So anything that an organization can do to avoid that stigma. Like you said, that despite all the tools, you might still be a victim. And sometimes these tools can add to your challenges. So we are not talking about complete immunity, but we are emphasizing the need to be vigilant and the need to go above and beyond to develop, implement, and sustain a comprehensive strategy. And in this case, a vulnerability management strategy. Let me pose another question for you. Based on some of the earlier research that your organization did with the Enterprise Strategy Group, you all found a correlation, and you, I think you alluded to this, between the number of tools an organization uses and the number of breaches they experience. And I found this to be fascinating because it reminds me of something I say in the classroom a lot, that often less technology is better than more technology because it creates confusion, it creates coordination challenges. So it's really important to identify what you want to focus on and go after it with a laser-like strategy and approach. But I'm going to stop here. <laughs> Turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree, right? At Sixth Sense, the, the approach that we took is, is we like to position ourselves in the market as a unified security endpoint vulnerability management tool. So we've really brought together a unified endpoint management technology 
which is kind of the thing that can do something about this stuff with with vulnerability scanning, not just patch vulnerability, but security vulnerability scanning as well, kind of all tied together with an automation engine, which allows you to, again, um, continually scan the endpoints for vulnerabilities. And when you detect something, actually react and do something about it and do it in an automated fashion that's thoughtful. Because again, you can't just mass deploy a patch because the patch itself could cause more problems in the vulnerability it's closing. So it needs to be done very thoughtfully using automation and processes. And so that really has been the whole kind of ethos behind Sixth Sense is that we were trying to reduce the number of tools in organizations simplify the process by automation, but still make it very flexible so that our clients can roll out these patches and and, uh, remediations in a very thoughtful, careful way that isn't going to cause more problems than perhaps what we're trying to address in the first place. But yeah, you do, you need to think about the number of agents that are actually on each endpoint. I think, um, again, the, the research from ESG said that organizations have between six to about 20 different agents on an endpoint. I mean, it's a staggering number, 20 agents. (laughs) And again, the supply chain risks that that's introducing into the organization is is unacceptable, personally. So you're looking for opportunities to consolidate your tools um, just makes a ton of sense. But again, you need to do it in a very thoughtful way. And automation and I think AI in future years as well are uh, continuing to, as well to will grow, have a growing part to play in this as well. A lot of vendors right at the moment are kind of AI washing their tools and saying that, yeah, we, yeah we've got AI in, in our technology, but is it really AI? Is it, is it thoughtful in the way that it's been implemented? Is it adding value or is it introducing risk, right? You have AI hallucinations, right? <laughs> Where the AI tool goes and just generates a bunch of junk. So that's that I think is as well going to be something that we need to think very carefully about as we're implementing these types of technologies. Very true. So folks who are listening in and trying to figure out how best to go about selecting appropriate solutions, what would be some of your recommendations? How should they go about their selection process? So there's a, a few approaches, I think, Obviously, you can talk to your peers in the industry. Um, that's always a good good starting place is to kind of get recommendations from other people that are using technology. I think that takes you only perhaps so far because you're typically going to see more of the older vendors, should we say, in the marketplace that are going to be most commonly implemented in existing organizations, but definitely you know, help you create a short list of tools. Obviously, you, know, you can research organizations like Gartner has their, their research in, in the space as well. And then there are organizations like GigaOM, which is a smaller research organization, if for those of you who aren't familiar with GigaOM. But their research is driven primarily by technologists rather than perhaps being as vendor-driven as some of the other research organizations are out there. So I definitely uh, take a look at the GigaRoam reports on the space, and uh, I think that that also would be really useful. But yep, drop a short list of, of tools, and I would make sure that kind of as you start to narrow down the list, that you you speak to people that are actually using those te- technologies in earnest, um, to hear what their experiences are. Um, it's a good idea as well, just to do some some searches on the internet to find people that are using it and perhaps use 
those organizations that you're finding on the internet that might be using a particular tool rather than the references provided by the vendor. Because typically a vendor is only going to give you, you know, the very positive references to talk to. So uh, I'd recommend perhaps doing a little bit of internet research as well. You know, bear in mind, this is a rapidly evolving space. And again, um, some of the legacy vendors in the space, while very well-known names, may not be the, the best technologies anymore for organizations to implement. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very, very well said. So we are kind of coming to the end of our discussion, which is unfortunate because I was really enjoying this. I wish we could go on. So I'd like to conclude this discussion by sharing with listeners what are considered some essential practices or best practices for robust vulnerability management. So the report finds, number one, the recommendation is to prioritize vulnerability management, be very regular about vulnerability scanning, take a very comprehensive approach when it comes to scanning assets, especially emphasizing cloud assets and, and IoT devices. Make sure that the organization is making steady progress towards reaching higher levels of vulnerability maturity. Prioritize risk remediation. Implement timely patch management. Sooner the better, I guess. Invest in comprehensive vulnerability management solutions. Last but not the least, enhance visibility and control over the assets. What do you think about this list of best practices? Do you agree, disagree? You'd like to add to this, uh, Ashley? Yeah, I, I actually, I think it's an incredibly comprehensive list. Um, so very well put together. And uh, you, you know, any organization that follows this is going to be in very, very good position um, with their vulnerability management program. If I was to kind of pick up maybe a couple of things that I would think about adding, I go back to kind of how we perhaps started the conversation today with it's everything we've spoken about with vulnerability management is kind of what you can do to make yourself less likely that a breach is going to occur. However, it is very likely going to be just a matter of time before something happens to your organization. And therefore, I would, if I was to add anything to the list, I would recommend that you put together an incident response plan <laughs> so that you, you have a plan in place and know how to respond should the worst happen and invest in, in kind of role play, role play that response plan, invest in um, training of the users, uh, because it's not just about your kind of technology threats, but it's also your human threats that you have to deal with as well. So they go and invest there as well. So and just do regular audits and drills. That's kind of a few items I perhaps would add to the list, but you've definitely got a, a great roadmap there. Fantastic. And one more thing I'd like to add to that is do it real time. Like when Ashley mentioned audits, I've been an auditor in my last career. I'm a fan of real time audits and not the traditional reactive audits. Because you want to know the problems, the risks as soon as possible so you can act on them. So be proactive and not reactive. And once again, emphasizing what Ashley said, develop a strategic posture that will help the organization recover as quickly as possible. So the emphasis needs to be on recovery. How robust, how smooth, how effective is the recovery? Ashley, once again, thank you so much for your time and insights. I know users greatly appreciate what you had to share. Any final words? 
Well, again, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast today. It's been great to meet you and to talk to your to your listeners as well. Final thoughts would be if you if you haven't already been thinking about it, take a look at your zero trust strategy because again, it's not a matter of if it's going to be a matter of when something occurs, and perhaps a zero trust strategy is going to help you uh, limit the risk and the impact of, of a breach. So uh, I would uh, put that on you another item to think about. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ashley. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. A special thanks to Marcus Lasfork and Morton Von Seelen for their time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.